verses 1 through 14, but we only made it through verse 6 this morning, so uh, we're going to take those expectations back for the second service and just read through verses 1 through 6 this morning. Let's hear God's word together. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Albania, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we Come now to this portion of your holy word. Lord, as we've just been reminded, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so we pray that that as we approach your word, that you might be pleased to speak it to our hearts. Lord, we're going to see today the reality that if you don't do that, if you don't meet with us, if your Holy Spirit is not active then this is just words in the wind. We don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you today. And so we pray that you might speak to us exactly what we need to hear, whether it's a word of conviction, whether it's a word of encouragement, whether it's a word of salvation. Lord, please speak to us today. We pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. The message of an odd man. Well, I'm sure at some point we have all known someone whose appearance or personality didn't quite fit with the reality of who they were. You know, maybe it was someone who was uh, wealthy but lived far below their means, right? They, they had a certain amount of wealth, but you never would have known it based off of their clothes, based off their car, based off the home that they lived in. For others, maybe it's a doctor, maybe it's a teacher whose personality just doesn't seem to to fit that role. And so we're surprised to find that that despite those things, they're they're very successful at what they do. For those of you who who like college football, if you watch the the college football national championship, then you're familiar with a guy named Devontae Smith. He's a wide receiver for Alabama, Heisman Trophy winner, one of the best players in the nation. But, But if you saw him away from the football field, I don't think any of us would imagine that that was the case. According to the Internet, he's six foot one, 175 pounds, but I have to say that that's probably with his pads on and, like, rocks in his pockets. Because if you just look at him, he looks like he couldn't weigh any more than 160 pounds. He's what Mark Miller would call gangly. And I can say that because Mark called me gangly. Um, he just physically doesn't seem to fit the mold of a Heisman Trophy winner. He doesn't seem to fit the mold of a college football wide receiver. And that's often the case when we look at people. Though we know we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, the reality is is we all have certain expectations, right? And when people don't meet those expectations, we're, we're often surprised. Sometimes pleasantly, sometimes not, uh, when we find out who they are. 
Well, as we approach this passage today, as we turn to Luke chapter 3, you have to imagine that as people thought about John the Baptist, this had to be how they thought of him. You know, last time we heard from him, expectations were pretty high. Given that the circumstances surrounding his birth, given the prophecy of his dad, Zacharias, you remember in in chapter 1 and in verse 66, all the people were saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. Surely uh, uh, John would go on to do great things. Surely he would do wonderful, amazing things for God. But then, of course, time began to pass. Uh, you know, we have a tendency to read this as one solid narrative, but, but what we face here is 30 years, right? Uh, after, after John and Christ are born, you have a 30-year silence, and then we, we address John again. And as he matured, uh, far from being great, he, he just seemed to be odd, like really, really odd. Uh, if you turn back to chapter 1 and in verse 80, you find there that it says that as he grew, he moved out to the wilderness. Now, that was not a normal practice even in those days, to, to leave the city, to go out into the wilderness. And then we know from Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 3, that then when he got out there, he started wearing garments of camel hair. He started eating locusts and wild honey. You know, for, for all intents and purposes, it seems that John was kind of the original hippie, right? He, he, was, he, he ate weird things. He had weird ideas. He went weird places. He's just a different kind of guy, at least from the outside looking in. And then when he actually does begin to speak, he doesn't say things that really endear him to the crowds that he's speaking to, right? You would think if you're going to show up looking like a wild man, looking crazy like he did, you would say things that would get people on your side. But he didn't do that. He comes out, he calls his audience names, he calls out their sins, he even goes so far as to call them to live in a certain way. He tells them how they should live their lives. Now, none of us really like that, right? When somebody tells us, this is how you should live. Well, that's what he did to the audiences that he addressed. And so when we think about John, we think this is not the way to start a ministry. This is not how you would go out and really do a ministry if you were starting one. But I think we're surprised, or we should be surprised, when we find that in all four Gospels, and that is enough to, to really tell the tale, that it's, it's consistent in all four Gospels, uh, but in all four we find accounts of how successful John's ministry really was. In Matthew chapter 3, in Mark chapter 1, it says great crowds were coming out to him, that they were being baptized there in the Jordan. Uh, In John chapter 1, it says that that he was drawing such large crowds that the Jewish leaders, they got concerned. They started sending out representatives to try to investigate. We don't need somebody doing these things. And so they had to send somebody out to see what was going on. And then, of course, Luke tells us here that, that John went around. He went around and he drew great crowds as he went preaching this, this message of repentance. Now, the question is, is how, how was he able to do that? Looking like he did, acting the way he did, how was he able to achieve such a following? You know, for us today, the question is, what, what was his purpose? What was his message? And maybe more importantly, what was the power behind all that John achieved, all that he did here in the first century church? Well, that's what I want us to consider this morning. I want us to think about those things. But before we do that, let me just point out one thing 
here in the beginning of chapter 3. And it's something that we've kind of already seen in our study of Luke, but I think it's important for us to, to address it again. As he, as he sets out this, uh, this new story of John the Baptist, again, 30 years has passed. And so Luke, being the, the good historian that he is, he wants to reset the stage, right? He wants to reset the historical uh, stage that all of these events are taking place in so that we can have a, a sense of accuracy to them. And so he gives us this list of names that I have repeated about 12 times this week so that I could try to get them right. I'm not going to say them again because I'll get them wrong. But I've, I've gone over them a thousand times. But it's a list of political leaders. It's a list of religious leaders. And the reality is, is as we consider these men, we don't have time to go through all of their individual histories. I'll leave that to you. But what we find here is not a good group of people. What we find here is, is actually some bad, bad men. Uh, they, they were uh, concerned only with themselves, with their own power. They did terrible things. And they left a world that was dysfunctional, both socially, politically, and religiously. Outside of the elite in this society, it's not a great time to live. And that's especially true for God's people. We know from, from the gospel accounts that, that God's people tend to, tended to be the, the whipping boy of the Roman Empire, right? If something went wrong, they were the ones who took the blame. They were the ones who were persecuted. They were the ones who were left in fairly bad shape. Now, I mention all of that to say that sounds sort of familiar to us, right? Maybe not to the extent that, that we would like to think that it does, but, but in some way, I think we can relate to all that was going on in these times. We look out at the political, the social, the religious aspects of our world, and we're concerned by what we see. We're concerned by what this may mean for God's people in the long run. Friends, let this passage once again be a reminder to us that first, we are not the first of God's people to experience poor leadership or consider that we are not the first to, to have, uh, have to deal with persecution. And frankly, if, if, if the world continues, we won't be the last. As long as sin is in the world, as long as power corrupts and it corrupts completely, we won't be the last of God's people to experience these things. But secondly, and more importantly, I want you to notice here that despite all of the opposition, what has not changed? God has not changed, right? He is still actively at work here, calling John the Baptist, here preparing the way for the Savior, here bringing redemption to its fullness. And in so many ways, God is still doing that today. He is still preparing the way for Jesus Christ into the hearts of men and women here and all over the world. He is still preparing the way for redemption that is to come at the end times. He is preparing the way. He is doing a great and mighty work despite all that we see going on around us. I understand why we may worry. I understand why we may be concerned but do we understand that we don't have to be? Are we familiar enough, to put it another way, with our Bibles to apply the truth that we find there and to live by those truths? Again, this is going to take us down a rabbit hole, but, but do we understand that our union with Christ demands that? That's what it means to be united to Him. It's not a passing knowledge. It's not a fun alternative 
But following Jesus is an all-encompassing worldview. In other words, he's not just an option. He's not just a part of our lives like our jobs or our hobbies or our nationality. No, he is our life. It's what Paul says over and over and over again. It's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do some things. You can do a little thing. No, he says, apart from me, that's right, you can do nothing. Apart from our Savior, we have very little we can do. And so it is only as we look at the world through him that we can ever really know about the truth, that we can know the truth about our jobs, about our nation, about our experiences, about our families, about our relationships. You know, Calvin has that great quote in his Institutes. says that when we look at God's word, they are the spectacles that we see that the rest of the world through, that they give us clarity. Now, in all respect to Calvin, I, I, I hate my glasses, and so I wear contacts, and so we're going to talk about contacts. If I take them out... I can't see anything. I couldn't see the, the Frasers here on the front row. I could barely see Dr. Long here. I certainly couldn't see the words on this, on this page. I can make out images. I can make out certain things. But it wouldn't be clear. It'd be fuzzy. Some of them would just be plain wrong. Well, that's what it's like to look at the world without Jesus. We may see some things, but they're fuzzy. They're skewed. They're not what they should be. Sometimes they're just plain wrong. And so we must look, we must see the world through what he has done for us. Not an option, not as an insurance plan, running back to him when we need him, but all of life through Jesus. Friends, I know I said this was a side note, but I won't say anything more important today than that. As Christians, we have to focus. We have to remember what is important We have to turn our eyes off of this world, off of all the things that are distracting us, all of the things that weigh us down, and we've got to turn our eyes back to our first love. We've got to turn our eyes back to Jesus. And what does he say to us over and over and over again as we consider all of the things going on? I won't read all these to you, but in Psalm 115, we read it, right? That that his purposes, they stand. If you turn to Proverbs 19.21, he says it there. Lamentations 3, 37 and 39. Job 42.2. Romans 8.28. Ephesians 1.11. And I'll read this last one to you from Isaiah chapter 46, 9 and 10. It says, For I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the, the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all. All my purposes. Get that? He's going to accomplish all of his purposes. He's got things completely under control. And so we can rest. But we will never do that until we know, until we trust what he has said to us. Until we have a foundation of faith. Faith in Christ. And we look at the world through him. One last example. You remember this in uh, Matthew chapter 14. The story of Peter. Jesus walks out to him on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if you will, I'll walk out to you. And, and Jesus says, come on. He steps out on the water. He's looking at Jesus. Everything's great. He's walking to him, right? And the waves, the lightning, they crash in. Peter takes his eyes off the Lord. And what happens? 
He sinks. He begins to sink down. Friends, too many of us as Christians today, we are sinking. And it's not because God is not good. It's not because he's not capable. And the reality is that Jesus will never let us sink completely, right? He's going to hold us up. But we're sinking because we have taken our eyes off our Savior. Let that truth, the truth of who he is, be the foundation. Let it be the bedrock of your life. Because if it is, COVID, conspiracy theories, government, none of those things can shake you if Jesus is the truth. Because he will not be shaken. He will not be moved. We have to build our lives on what he has said. And so we see, we see that truth here as, as Luke, once again, gives us this historical account. The reality that God is at work, even in the, the grimmest, even in the worst of circumstances. Now that was a significant but hopefully beneficial rabbit hole. And with that in mind, with the time that we have left Let's, let's at least begin looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. The, the first thing that I want you to see here about his ministry is I want you to see the power, the, the source of his, of his message, the source of his words. You see that there in verse 2. It says, During the, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. The word of God came. Now, I, I'm really kind of showing my hand by, by starting here. But it's important that we do that. It's actually imperative that we do that. What John goes out with is not a message that comes from himself. It's not a message that, that he has just sat around in the wilderness long enough to think of something good to say that, that people will be interested in. And they'll come and, and come out in droves to hear. He hadn't learned enough to finally go out. No, he is sent out by God with a message that comes from God. Friends, that is the source of his success. That's the source of success in any Christian ministry. It's not me. It's not John. It's not anyone who would endeavor to stand in a pulpit and speak to you here today. If we're relying on me, no matter how persuasive or sweet my words may be, they will never cause eternal change. As much as I would love to see that happen, and I, that's the honest truth, I, I long for nothing more than to see hearts changed by the gospel. The reality is, I have no power. I could just as soon turn invisible up here or blow fire out of my ears as I could take a heart of stone and turn it into hearts of flesh. Only God can do that work. Only he can give a message that will change us eternally. And so I'm going to pause here. I'm going to make a personal plea with you. I don't know if that's legal, but I'm going to do it. When you come in here, if you do nothing else, will you pray that God will be active? That he will work in your life and in the life of your neighbor and in my life and the life of Dr. Long. That he will work in our lives and Tell us the truth of the gospel. As I know this is not what you want to hear after we've just had a congregational meeting, but I know myself well enough. If, if ministry has taught me nothing else, it's taught me that I'm not as smart or as talented or as capable as I like to think I am. 
And that's not some false humility. That's just the truth of the matter. That's just the reality of the situation. I can't do this work in a way that would penetrate to your hearts. Only God can do that. And so pray that he would. Pray that he would take these words, as feeble as they may be, and that he would make them live to us. That he would make them the foundation that we talked about. Pray that for me. Pray that for your Sunday school teachers. Pray that for for the Bible studies that you have. Pray that for your families. That God would be pleased to meet with us. That he'd be pleased to be active. Well, he did that for John. He gave him a message to speak. He sent John out into the world and he goes and we see the success that he has because God was pleased to work through him. Secondly here, I want you to notice not only the the source, the power of John's message, but also notice the purpose of John's message. And you see that there in verses 4 through 6. Now these are the, the words that we so often associate with John the Baptist when we think of him. We probably think about these words from Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah's prophecy. And that's, that's what Luke gives us. He says, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John comes as that voice with the message of God to do what? Prepare the way of the Lord. His purpose is not to grow in popularity for himself. His purpose is not to to see how many people he can impress with his knowledge and his abilities. He doesn't say to them, hey, prepare the way because here I come. No, he says, prepare the way because in verse 16, here comes one who I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who brings the salvation of God there in verse 6, right? seems that, that at every moment, John is living by that, those words that he says in John chapter 3 and in verse 30. He must increase when he sees Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. Look, he, he had success. He easily could have poked out his chest and said, look at what I've done. They thought I was crazy. They thought I was out here in the wilderness doing who knows what. Look at the success I've had. He didn't do that. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. Friends, I wonder if we realize that, that John's call is really all of our call. We, we are all called to go out into the world to prepare the way for the Lord, to point others to the truth of what Jesus has done, to show them the redemption that, that he has given us. To do that, we must learn to live by those words. We must learn to live as John did. He must increase and we must decrease. Friends, what a challenge that is in the world that we live in, a world of of, uh, movie stars and athletes who are constantly saying, hey, look at me, Look, look at what I've done, a world of social media where we are constantly saying, whether we know it or not, hey, look at me. Look at my family. Look how perfect we are. Even though we know it's not that way, we have to put out the the best image that we can. We want people to look at what we have done, what we are doing. But 
here is a reminder to us. It's not about us. He must increase and we must decrease. Are are we willing to live that way? Are we willing to die to self, to live to righteousness, to put aside our own glory, our own name, our own popularity for the glory of our Savior? If so, that will affect not only our lives, it will affect the way that we raise our families. It will affect the truth that we speak to our kids, our grandkids. It will affect the way we live every aspect of our lives. Are, are we willing to battle through our own insecurities, our own fears, our own doubts to go and spread the good news of salvation? Are we willing to, to sacrifice my time, our time? our pleasure, our very lives for the sake of the gospel. As the truth is, a salvation that can change our worldview, and that's what this does, makes us see the world completely different than we did before. A salvation that that can take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. A salvation that can give us not just temporary security, but eternal security. It demands everything, right? It demands our lives. Big picture here, big picture. What, what's, what's the purpose of our lives? If, if we all live to be 99 years old and we're all here on one Sunday morning, we look back over the course of our lives, what's, what's going to matter? Well, what's, what's going to be the thing that we tell the story of when we get to, to that point in our lives? Will it be our victories? Will it be the things that we've done? Well, surely to some degree. My friends, the things that will last will be what we have done by His grace to prepare the way of the Lord in the lives of our families, the lives of our friends, the lives of our community, the lives of the world. Those are the only things that will have eternal, lasting purpose. So I say it again. He must increase and we must decrease. We really, are we willing, are we ready to live that way? Well, we've seen the, the power of John's ministry. We've, we've seen the purpose of John's ministry. And I think we'll stop there this morning because uh, to go further will get us into uh, John's message. And that's where we'll start next week with, with John's message. And it's a message of repentance, a message like we have at the top of our verse where, where John, in 1 John 1, 9, says that if we're confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He comes into the world and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But I'll end just with that question that we asked. What what is your purpose today? What or who are you living for? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's yourself. It's all of these things, certainly ourselves. (laughs) And that's usually the culprit, right? It's not these other things. It's me. The enemy is me. It's inside, right? It's not out here. It's, it's here. All of those things will disappoint. But here, here we have the one. John prepares the way for the one who will never disappoint, who will never let us down. The only one who can give us eternal, lasting meaning. And the only one who can get us safely, eternally home. Are you trusting in that Savior today. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider this, your, your word, as we consider the life of John and the, the odd man that he was, Lord, how we rejoice that, that you are no respecter of persons, that you don't see the outside, but you look straight to the heart. And Lord, you can use even the, 
the, the weakest of us to do great and mighty things. And Lord, we know that it is your work. It is your word. It is your power that changes the hearts of men and women. And yet, Lord, you call us to, to be faithful. You use means, and we are often the means that you use. And so we pray that you would give us here at New Albany Presbyterian Church a ministry that is called by you, that is sent out by you, that, that gives us your word to go and to speak. That you give us that not only here as a corporate body, but that you would give us that in each of our lives so that we might go out, not for our glory, not for our honor, but so that Jesus might increase in the lives of men and women throughout the world. And Lord, how we praise you, that, that when that is the case, when we're, we're resting in him, that we can face a world that, that is unsure. We can face a, a world of political intrigue, of, of disappointments, of COVID, of all of, we can face it all. Not because we are strong, but because we have a sure and unshakable foundation. A God who will never be moved. And so we rest in that truth today. We praise you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.